Hi, everyone out there. Welcome to Love at First Laugh, the Green Room Edition. I see Davis here, and you guys are joining in. I am very excited today because this is the third or fourth time his own Love at First Laugh. He's a brilliant writer and a great guy. He's uh, His credits are insane. Everybody loves Raymond, Seinfeld, Cotton Cleveland. The list goes on and on and on. So please welcome my good friend, Steve Scroven. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, San Francisco. Yeah, good. <laughs> Did, you like the intro? Did you like the intro? Did you like the intro? Frampton comes alive album. <laughs> like yeah. you, San Francisco. Hey, you're Peter Frampton to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, how are you doing? I'm uh, doing very well. Uh, all vaxxed up and with no place to go. <laughs> I read that you wanted to wear masks even if you're vaccinated like indoors well uh yeah I just posted something today that um that yeah that uh after study because the CDC rules were a little confusing to a lot of yeah. people I studied them and so I came to the conclusion that I'm I'm, I'm still going to wear a mask in indoor public spaces yeah um However, I will not be wearing any underwear. So, um, hashtag freedom. Very interesting. Yes, yeah. your choices are very interesting. Just everyone be advised. You're a very free man. I, I will be the masked commando. <laughs> Steve Scroven. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> nice, nice. So, today we're going to do some more sheltered in place. We're going to start right. from the last one. Do the people know who, what, what, what that is? Do they know? Well, you want to explain to to the audience what sheltered in place is? Well, it was it was a diary that I started uh, last uh, March in 2020 when the quarantine first, you know, the lockdown, the sheltered in place order came in. And I just started posting these jokes and things on Facebook. And uh, uh, people seemed to respond to them. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first one was it, basically, it, it was a dick joke. It was, you know, it was basically, um, I, I understand we're not supposed to touch our face, but where are we on the penis? Right. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That's right. And, uh, that, and that's, people seem to laugh at that. And then I started, I just posted, you know, just about something every day and I made the mistake of numbering them, which wow. enough people said that they were looking forward to them that then I couldn't stop. And in the end, or as I went, it be, so I had to come up with something every day. And it ended up being a tremendous uh, discipline for me right. to come up with something. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes they were just one line, two line jokes. Other times they were just more elaborate sketches. I kind of got into a rhythm and kind of developed some formats that uh, I would use over again. And... Um, it was really a great way to process the whole experience of this past tumultuous year. Yes. And, um, uh, and it was a, turned to be a great writing exercise for me. I, I you know, I just, I, I got better at it as it went. And, and, yeah. uh, and most of it is funny and satirical. Some of it, uh, there are a few times I, I went off the reservation, so to speak, and, and kind of, uh, ranted a bit but uh, only in a few occasions and uh, always just trying to echo the outrage that i was feeling because when you think about this entire year 
the, mm -hmm. the past year of 2020, it, it was probably the most tumultuous year I've ever lived through. And I'm, I'm old enough to uh, vaguely remember 1968, which was, you know, previous to that, where they had the assassination of Martin Luther King and Kennedy and riots and um, the Democratic Convention and, you know, all that stuff that's relived in the, 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 the movie, The Trial of the Chicago 7. So uh, this, is, this beats that. This wow. beats that in my lifetime. And so um, I was, I'm very glad to have kind of created this sort of uh, social history of it. Yeah. And, and I went 365 days and I'm um, uh, kind of proud of how it came out. I'm so glad that you've enjoyed it so much that we have these things and I can sort of uh, tell the people about them. Yes, no, they're great. I was always looking forward to them and laughing and enjoying them. The short ones, the long ones, all of them, they're amazing. Uh, so what was the hardest part of this quarantine of sheltered in place for you? What was the hardest part to deal with? Well, I mean, you know, for people like me and for most of us, which I think, and, and I actually wrote about this in, in, in one of the posts, I don't remember which one, was how we were kind of at war. Yeah. Numbers ticking up on the, the death toll. You see these numbers and we're not, uh, we're not on the front lines of this war. That's taking place in hospitals, in other healthcare facilities, in nursing homes. And so we're so close to it, but it's still for most of us numbers on a screen. Those of us who are staying home and, you know, for for people that was easier than other people. You know, for me at my stage of life, it was it was easier because, you know, I, I was working from home anyway. Right. And, um, you know, but for people, especially like other comedians, you know, you know, such as yourself who are used to going to clubs and getting paid. Mm -hmm it's you just shut down and your yeah. your income stream is shut down and that happened to so many people in, in service industries and all over the place and so you had this war going on mm -hmm. right down the street but it's not explosions it's not gunfire but the numbers are ticking up so it's a very abstract thing to get a hold of so i i hesitate to talk about what the hardest part for me was because compared to what most people went through, it wasn't hard at all. I mean, and, and that's why I, you know, I try to um, do this journal with, with that in mind, with, with the idea that of putting some perspective on the events of the day and on kind of what we were going through both politically and socially. And just, you know, as you, as you know, and as you've highlighted on your show here, uh, your relationships, dealing with being sort of quarantined with somebody, if you're lucky enough to be that, you know, yeah. quarantined with somebody. And how does that, that increases the intensity of the relationship. So mm -hmm. there are all, all sorts of things that um, kind of came to light. And it, I tried to make light of those things. So if other people read them and they were having some sort of conflict with their partner or their spouse, that they could, they could laugh at that. Yeah, you know, other people are going through that too. Absolutely, you're a healer. Oh, this is what I do. I'm not. I don't have a certificate on the wall. Great. Yeah. <laughs> right. I give. I'm a giver, and I'm a healer. You are. Uh, I'm a doctor. I, I wouldn't put a scalpel in my hand. 
<laughs> but I can carve you up with my wit. Well, you did dissect the situation. I yes, yeah, and there's value to that, and that's yeah, yes. that's what writers are supposed to do. That's what artists are supposed to do. You take the reality that's around you, and you kind of interpret it and yeah. uh, and and process it for yourself, and hopefully for other people too. Yeah, and it was great for me, at least, and I'm sure for everybody, because uh, you kind of summarized what we were all feeling, or sometimes showed us like a different perspective and you were like, oh, yeah. you okay. made us think, you made us like agree with you. And uh, it was, it, it was really good. It was great. And uh, I'm glad that you're continuing like the bonus edition, right? <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. I'm throwing out stuff. Yeah. And uh, you know, I can't, I, once, once I got into the habit, you know, now it's maybe more like once a week rather than every day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's hard to write every day and, you know, we're kind of out of it, kind of out of it. it I'm not sure, 90%, 80% out of it. Well, right now, you know, there's about a third of the country vaccinated, but then you've got the world that needs to be vaccinated. That's right. And uh, we can't just be, you know, we don't live in a bubble. And we no. found that out. Mm -hmm. This is a world war. And what's going on in India is, uh, you know, uh, uh could have happened here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm from Argentina and I have friends there and they don't have a vaccine. It's a mess. The economy is like a disaster. It's yeah. Yeah. And they don't know when they're going to get a vaccine. If ever it feels to them, like it's going to last forever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we were able to develop the vaccine because, and I, and I think this is because there had been SAR, there had been a SARS outbreak 15 or 20 years before. And so they, there was a lot of research. So I think actually developing the vaccine is my understanding. I could be wrong. Yeah. It didn't take that long. Uh, you know, what, what took time is being able to test it and then produce it and do all of that. But all of that foundational work had kind of been done. And that's why this right. miracle happened. I mean, it's, right. you know, they were telling us that most vaccines take at least four years to develop. And, um, you know, this took uh, less than a year. Uh, and, you know, the, the problem with the previous administration is that they, they went, they have to you take, they can take credit for, um, you know, Operation Warp Speed and getting it done. But that was the easy part. Mm -hmm. The harder part was, what do you do in the meantime? And their attitude was, well, we're, they, they went all in on vaccines, mm -hmm. on, on kind of the magic pill while they wanted everybody to just act normal until the vaccine arrives. And yeah. that, you know, and that's why probably anywhere for 200 to 250,000 people died who wouldn't have had to die if they were more diligent about mitigation and, ma you know, didn't make masking a political issue and all of that. So yeah, what's, uh, that is so ridiculous. Yeah. 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 And it's ongoing today. I mean, it's still, you know, now, yeah. Vaccine is vac vaccination is political. Oh yeah, it, it seems to be yes. Yeah, because I'm a, I'm addicted to TikTok, <laughs> so that's where I get yeah. my information from. Yeah, and we have we have here we have, you know, this is what the crime is: is we have a surplus of vaccine now. We've mm -hmm. created it, like you say, Argentina doesn't have any, and we got people who don't want to take it. I know. Now, how spoiled and indulgent is that? Yeah. So. Yeah, truth.
Yeah. I know. And they do make it a political issue and it's not a political issue. It's a health issue. It's like, exactly. what? yeah. Yeah. I Very mean, it, you know, the whole thing about masking is like, you know, 50 years ago, people complaining about seatbelts and their freedom and, you know, oh, yeah. wearing your fucking seatbelt. Yeah. You know, exactly. wear your motorcycle helmet. Yes. You know, just put your mask on if you need to put your mask on. And get mm -hmm. if you don't want to wear a mask, get vaccinated. Right. It's right. it's it's grow the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. I'm with you, Steve. 99.9% .9 I agree with everything you do on your sheltered in place. So thank you. I will I'm just trying to get that other one tenth of a percent. A little bit. <laughs> Well, it can't be a hundred percent. That'd be yeah. That's right. Too much. I, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, so why don't we start with the last uh, sheltered in place, the day three hundred and sixty-five? Yeah. Okay. This this one this was uh, like uh, you know mid March, maybe March eleventh to twelfth or something, and it was day three sixty-five. It comes the full year, and earlier in the year I had done. A uh, five stages of quarantine thing over the course of five days, and that was like days one forty one to one forty five. So you know, like two hundred twenty days later, I did stage six of quarantine, and th and those stages were like, um, uh, let me see, it was like, uh, uh, discombobulation was stage one, euphoria was stage two, deflation was stage three, anger was stage four, and numb was stage five. It's, you know, it was like the five stages of grief model. Oh, I like that, yeah. And and so e each one of those I characterized. So then on day 365, was, I, I wrote stage six, the sixth stage of quarantine, which is hope. Okay. Great. Spring approaches. We hear a guitar playing the familiar opening notes of Here Comes the Sun. The president declares that we could all be vaccinated by the end of May. And by the 4th of July, depending on the status of the COVID variants, we could be having backyard barbecues again. After the passage of the $1.9 trillion rescue package, the thought occurs, could this finally be the end of the Reagan revolution? Could this be the stake in the heart of that 40-year-old vampire called trickle-down economics? A term that was just another way to say, piss on you. In his first inaugural address, an avuncular Ronald Reagan famously declared that, quote, government is the problem, unquote. And 15 years later, and, quote, I feel your pain, Bill Clinton chimed in with, quote, the era of big government is over and promptly threw a bunch of single mothers and their kids out on the street. Maybe it took a pandemic to make us realize that the problem wasn't big government after all. Maybe the problem was always just bad government. <laughs> government run by wealthy politicians too detached from their experience of the people they represent. Mm -hmm. World War C is not over yet. There could be at least one more battle of the surge, especially if we get too cocky and enough people listen to idiot governors who cry, give me liberty or give me death. 
safe in the knowledge they're not the ones facing the latter option. It's not going to end in a VJ Day celebration where we all just pour into the streets and sailors start kissing nurses. This is going to be far less dramatic, more like crawling single file out of a mine shaft. We have to move slowly and deliberately to make sure the ceiling doesn't cave in again. Once out of our hermit huts and breathing fresh air, will we have learned anything from this plague? Will we take advantage of this new beginning? Will the ravages brought on by this microscopic neutron bomb that killed people but left buildings standing be an opportunity to reassess who we are and what the future should be? If nothing else, if, excuse me, if nothing else, this is one of nature's many recent reminders that we need to get our shit together as a community about so many things, climate income disparity, housing, healthcare, which also includes sharing this vaccine with the world so that we don't have to fight World War C too. We need to think more long-term about everything. We need to think beyond three-month quarterly reports or the daily stock ticker. Shelley always points out that human systems become so culturally ingrained, we tend to think of them as principles of nature ruled by laws of physics. But economies are not gravity. We can change the rules. We need to make the most of this potential paradigm shift to keep the virus, the virus at bay and the vampire in its coffin. We can't just blithely pick up where we left off and think just because we have a new empathetic president, it's going to be all better now. But today, for the first time in a long time, we can allow ourselves to hope. Because today, I feel that ice is slowly melting. Nice. That's beautiful. Very well said. I love it. Uh, here's Joe. Uh, he says, I'll agree with Steve to, a par to paraphrase about wealthy politicians who don't give a damn about any of us. Yeah. Well, that, that's, in, that's, the, that's the problem. And, you know, Obviously, this is not one of the funnier ones, uh, and and there are a few of those sprinkled in throughout. But you know, th there is a talk about bipartisanship. If you watch CNN, you watch Jake Tapper and all the commentators there. They are they going to be able? You know, you talk about all these things we need: this infrastructure bill, the stimulus packages. Are they going? Is it going to get bipartisan support? And what they're talking about is not people, because most people support uh, a lot of these things, whether it's the stimulus package, infrastructure package, mm -hmm. or whether it's gun safety, uh, you know, uh, 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 health care. These have majority support, which means that's bipartisan. You have to have Republicans supporting if you've got 60, 70 percent support. Okay. Where you don't have bipartisan support is in Congress, where all this stuff happens. And that's because they're not serving people. They're detached from people. They're serving plutocrats. They're right. serving the people who are giving their campaign dollars. And so when Jake Tapper and all the others talk about bipartisan support, they're not talking about people. We have There is bipartisan support. It's whether they're going to convince the politicians who are working 
for the uh, oligarchs of, of the country to do what the people want. And mm -hmm. people like Mitch McConnell and all the rest of them, whenever they say, uh, this is what the American people want, you just need to replace the word people with the mm -hmm. word plutocrat. Yeah. That's exactly. what he's talking about. Well, what the American plutocrats want. Steve Scroban for president in 2028. <laughs> yeah. I've never even been president of my uh, class. So uh, <laughs> well, we support you. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I have a lot of opinions on it. Yeah. Thank very you, Dave. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Very sweet, guys. Thank you. It's too bad we can't get rid of the two-party gangster system. Yeah. That are yeah, two of the same coin. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Agreed. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know they need to be pressured and and you know there's there's a reckoning coming with the Republican Party definitely because the you know you have a whole right wing crazy QAnon crazy thing going on and then you have these so called moderates who you know were merely kind of the vulture capitalist class of Mitt Romney who are now looked on, you know, like Liz Cheney, who's this incredibly, uh, um, I don't even like the word to use the word conservative because they're not conserving anything except their own power. <laughs> um, the right wingers. And now she's some sort of hero and, and she deserves credit for being honest, but my God, the, the, the program is over. And that's what I was saying about the trickle down economics and the Reagan revolution is that that is, um, you know, that was all about repealing the New Deal and the, and the FDR and the Lyndon Johnson Great Society. And they managed to do a fair amount of that. Uh, but now they're, but that's been proven to be a bankrupt sort of idea. I mean, it never was. I mean, even George H.W. Bush, back when he's running against Reagan, called it voodoo economics. Now we're finally seeing that it's ground up economy should be trickle up that's what happens uh corporate honchos are not job creators it's consumer demand people are job creators if consumers are demanding products people will make those products and sell them exactly. so that's the whole paradigm shift that i'm talking about yes so. i am with um nate Steve Scrobin for president, 2004. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, here's Nate. Thank you, Nate. Seeing Steve Scrobin on the show has brightened my day and been the highlight of my weekend. He's my favorite comedic writer of all time. Well, thank you, Nate. You're my famous. You're my favorite audience member of all time. <laughs> As of now, you've replaced the last person who, who yeah. <laughs> forgotten their name. Oh, that's too funny. Well, you know what I would love for you to read? The nose. The nose. Okay. This is, uh, okay, a little less political, this one. Yeah. Um, let me get to that one here. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, you know, one that goes into the relationship category. And we were talking about, you know, intense relationships with somebody. And uh, for those of you following the thing, know that, uh, Shelly is my wife and um, you've been married for how many years? We've been married. I think it will be, think 35 in August, uh -huh. but we've been together for 44. 
Amazing. Amazing. I can't believe how, you know, you guys survived this. Um, You're going to survive anything. Do you feel that? You know, all along, we've just been too lazy to break up. That's basically. (laughs) Yeah, no, don't. Oh, my God. Yeah, trust me. Um, You should read my dating chronicles. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. This this was called. This one, uh, I guess, is called the nose. You called the nose. I like that you gave them titles. Of course. Um, Shelly has a superpower. She is a member of an exclusive club of Homo sapiens who have an extraordinary, keen sense of smell. She is what, in the vernacular, they call a nose. <laughs> I'd call her a smell sommelier. Ooh, I like that. However. And I could be wrong. I, I don't believe there is a comic book hero with just this one singular power, probably because it's too hard to dramatize smell. It does not require any gross motor activity like throwing a punch or leaping a tall building in a single bound. Engaging this faculty requires an almost imperceptible wrinkling of the nostrils, a much too subtle physical act for melodrama closest we come is Samantha and Bewitched, wiggling her nose. I like that. But that niggling act not only needed a jingling sound effect, it actually altered reality, made things appear, disappear. And that's pretty big. When Shelly and I were first going out in college, we, we parted for the summer and I had left behind a sweater. And she told me how much she liked having it around because it still retained a hint of my scent. How romantic, huh, Grace? Yeah, so romantic. Well, 43 years later, I can report that the olfactory blush is off of that rose. (laughs) Stuck in quarantine together, it's more like, uh, she goes like, did you use that deodorant I gave you? (laughs) Accompanied by like a Marshawn Lynch, you know, stiff arm. Oh, no. (laughs) So her nose is both a gift and a torment to both of us. And I can't blame her, I have to admit, I have been showering less frequently these days, which has made my poor extrasensory life mate acutely aware of when my body has become overripe, when my fine vintage wine has turned to vinegar in the oak barrel of our confinement. Even worse, our house is all electric, so when she detects a gas leak, I can't blame it on the stove. (laughs) But in the end, like a superhero, like a true superhero, Shelly is protecting me. Even without COVID, my sense of smell is terrible. When social distancing protocols end, she'll be saving me from embarrassing myself out in the world. However, my daughter Julia remarked, Dad, you don't need a super sense of smell to know when you're coming around the corner. <laughs> oh my God. Obviously, I have no sense of what rank odors I'd be imposing on polite society. We saw a Nova special in which a dog was able to uh, lead researchers to the middle of a lake where they had dropped a metal safe full of raw meat to the bottom. Shelly's not that good. But before I became a vegetarian, she would unfailingly detect it on my breath in the spirit of the prohibition era admonition lips that touch liquor shall never touch mine she would step back and in the sing-song cadence go meat mouth (laughs) so if anyone ever does create a superhero called the nose i'm pitching that her arch nemesis be the stank 
along with his loyal sidekick, Meat Mouth. <laughs> wow. Wow. I, you know, I have the nose too, and it's, it's a curse. You do. So you are, you are hypersensitive to smell. Terrible. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I, I feel for her. So we, I think we all stopped showering like this March 2020. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, why shower? Well, you see, I was alone, so it was okay. Well, here's the thing. I think we humans, and yeah. this is off the record, I think we shower too much. Yeah, I right? Think, I think we are, you know, and wash our hair and kind of strip it of its natural oils. Yeah. And as you can see, I've grown my hair. You know, I still have my COVID haircut. It's it's longer than it's ever been in my life. Even 1975, my senior prom, uh, you know, in the disco era or the dawn of the disco era, it's uh, oh, it's so long. It's very long. Yeah, it kind of oh. curls up, so it doesn't, you know. But the actual length is is uh, pretty long. So we take the oils out of our hair. We take all of the good bacteria off our body. Yeah, because there is good bacteria there, and um, I think it it actually makes us. And I I think this has been proven, or at least uh, you know postulated about kids is. Uh, you know, antibacterial soaps are actually not good for you because there is good bacteria. Yeah. And if you you just create a runway for the bad bacteria, a clean runway for the bad bacteria. So um, that's my de defense and I'm sticking to it. Totally. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. Well, here Joe is saying that smell and intuition are women's superpowers. Do you believe that too? Uh, well... It depends. I mean, smell definitely for my wife. Uh, intuition is a little harder to define. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I did a whole thing about um, emotional intelligence versus just any kind of regular intelligence mm -hmm. and how oh, that's, a, you know, and, um, you know, my claim that I was actually more emotionally intelligent than my wife and daughter got. Got a little bit of pushback, but, uh, you know, I have my theories about that. Um, so intuition, I'm, I'm not, I'm not giving that all to the women. Yeah, I agree. I think we all have the power of intuition. I think maybe women were, um, and, and not necessarily, I wouldn't generalize with women cause I know some women that have absolutely no intuition. Um, yeah. And I, and I don't, I think intuition is similar to the word instincts. Yes. You follow your instincts, follow your intuition. And all it is, is kind of the sum of our experience and picking up clues that may not necessarily be verbal or concrete, being sort of attentive to what's going on around you, not only in your environment, but to people you're interacting with and kind of, you know, there's a level of empathy that I think yeah. um, is there. And, and, and as, and as far as, um, you know, empathy goes, I, I have to give the the big edge to Shelly in that is that she really feels things yeah. um, feels and does feel other people's pain in a way that yeah. um, uh, I don't. I mean, I can kind of compartmentalize and separate, you know, she'll watch. We watched the documentary the other day and the opening was, you know, about uh, people getting uh, 
uh, a fire in a concert hall in Romania. It was that movie was Oscar nominated called The Collective. And just hearing about, you know, that tragedy just took away her appetite. We were having, you know, watching it from the, eating in front of the TV. And I didn't, I, I just kept chowing down, you know, so she feels those things. So, yeah. you know, I would give, uh, give her that, but I, I, I don't know that it breaks along um, gender lines as much as people think. That's kind of the stereotype. Yeah, it is the stereotype. Yes. Yeah. I, I have a lot of guy friends and they're like so intuitive and they feel things. It's not even like you were saying, you know, more like the experience that you had. And so you relate it. That's more, I think, on a mind level. But I, I have a lot of friends, guy friends that are on the feel level. Like they look at a photograph that like they get a vibe or they, yeah. they they just feel your vibe. So I think it varies from human to human. I don't yeah. I agree with you. I don't think there's gender specific. Yeah, yeah. like guys don't feel anything and women feel everything. Right. I've right. seen more men cry than women cry in my lifetime. I'm not kidding. Well we know if, uh, in my experience raising a son and talking to other people who have raised sons they all say or most of them say that it's the boys who have the hearts on the sleeves that you know when the yeah. first time a girl rejects them or breaks up with them they're crying and the girls are kind of you know rolling with it yeah and uh so culturally we we kind of still to this day sort of discourage men from uh, showing emotion but I, I find it, you know as I get older I'm more susceptible to uh, sentiment and crying in a movie or, or you know uh, choking up over something out of nowhere you know and I think your life experience informs that and that's and, exactly what I was gonna say yeah yeah and, it's and it hits certain buttons yeah you know that uh, you may not even know where it's where it's where it's coming from, but it, it hits some emotional button and you respond. It triggers something in you. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it is the life experience. I agree. Yeah. Here, Joe is saying life experience can give you a lot of intuition, regardless of gender. I think yeah. we totally yeah. agree on that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and here, Dave, I can relate to possessing hypersensitive smell. See, Wow, there's a lot more noses out there than I thought. My sense of smell. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm surprised I can taste anything because I I can't really smell anything. I mean, I can smell things, but it's got to be really, really strong, really hot and spicy, really, you know. That's funny. No, and it's some smells. I'm like, and people smell like everybody has a smell. Well, how are you? How are you with? Um, natural smells versus artificial smells like colognes versus just you know people uh whatever they're giving off or you know uh air fresheners or car fresheners how are you with those i think both but i think chemical smells like i remember there i'm more sensitive to that yeah. i remember once i was driving with a friend of mine and I was like, do you smell that mint? And she's like, what? A mile later, she started smelling it. I, yeah. I smelled it a mile before she did. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't mean, know why. Um, your your yeah. smell has distance. Your yeah. smell has, wow, yeah. Yeah. You've it's got a, like a tractor beam coming out of those nostrils. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I can probably smell, like, if I know how somebody smells, I can smell them. It's yeah. weird. Yeah, I can smell them before they're even here. I don't know. It's just, I'm weird. Yeah. Well, it's a blessing and a curse. And yeah. you are weird. Yeah. I'm I am very weird. weird. We know yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's why I'm still uh, not married. <laughs> Nobody says you have to get married. It's also a cultural. That's concept. a cultural thing, right? Yeah. What's up with that? Yeah, you don't have to. And it's kind of torturous because you think about it and you're like, oh, maybe I should. And then I'm like, I really don't want to live with anyone. I'm so happy by myself. Yeah. I don't even know why I'm thinking about it. It's like, it's. No, because society's telling you this is what you're supposed to do. And you and not everybody should be married. Not no, everybody no. should have kids. Oh, a my God. People, yeah. A lot of people have kids, shouldn't have kids. Absolutely. I agree and, with that. And we are kind of wired for, uh, I mean, we're, we're supposedly monogamous creatures, humans, homo sapiens, but we are, but we're kind of serial monogamous. We're, you know, we're, I mean, that's why people get divorced and married and some people get married three or four or five times, you know, you have the need to be with someone, but maybe not forever. Yeah, that's true. Well, I'm a living example. Uh, Grace is a fantastic weird. Thank you. I had to. I had to do that. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Uh, so the next, I would love for you to read "Old School: Sheltered in Place," day three hundred and forty-nine. Three forty-nine. Yeah, this is this is a story that I've actually had, had told a number of times, and I thought I would share it with people. Um. Oh, I'm sorry. This is not this is not the what I'm thinking of. This is this is oh yeah, this is funny. Uh because well, I'll just I'll just read it. It should be self-explanatory. My my daughter Julia, who you remember from the last post, my daughter Julia invited me to join a weekly Zoom trivia game with a bunch of her friends from college. It's it's my job to answer old people questions. <laughs> I special in dead presidents sports franchise name changes, and music before the invention of the 8-track. So our, our team is scattered all over the country, so we communicate via WhatsApp, where she's had to point out to me on more than one occasion that putting a period at the end of a text is pretty aggressive. There have been many ways I have embarrassed my daughter through the years, idly bending over to do a wide base hamstring stretch in a department store, power singing in a car at a, at a stoplight, doing a goofy walk in front of her friends at a, at a high school event. Okay, that, that was on purpose. That wasn't <laughs> But putting a period at the end of a sentence? That's a faux pas? Apparently, it's more than that. It's, it's the text equivalent of making a statement, slamming your beer glass on the bar and shouting, that's right, motherfuckers! <laughs> I understand that every communication platform has its etiquette. I get that. My problem is I can't help myself. It's, it's too ingrained. English was my major. Now all that degree does is make me look like a stodgy, obsessive, compulsive with a punctuation problem. So maybe I'm overcompensating for, for a childhood where my infinitive split when I was a young boy and I was shunted off to the to live on the island of misplaced modifiers. Is there a 12-step program? Friends of Bill Strunk? 
<laughs> that will help me kick this socially regressive habit of being grammatically correct? I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know who wrote Rufus's biggest hit, Tell Me Something Good. Stevie Wonder. Period. Boom. Mic drop. I love it. There you go. Mm -hmm. So I was, my thing here is like, what I see, what I go to is boomers versus millennials, right? Your daughter is a millennial, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. 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 So yeah, what is yeah. the main difference, do you think, between boomers and millennials? And why do boomers crash? Hey, hey. Well, besides that, but why do boomers like are always in, in, in contradiction with millennials? They're always like, well, because that's the way life is. You are, it's general, you know, it, back when I was a young, you know, a teenager, uh, even a smaller, it was called the generation gap. Right. You know, because our parents were the greatest generation, you know, and, and our generation, the boomers, we were the indulged, this indulged generation who, you know, didn't go through World War II and didn't want to go to Vietnam and, you know, and so it's it's simply another version of the generation gap, mm. and you know I I, I do not um, denigrate millennials because Good. we boomers, you know, are are the people in power, and we boomers have to take responsibility for the way the world is now, mm. and we have fuck things up a lot. Yeah, so we need to take responsibility for that. We have. We have not left this place better than when we found it so far. I mean, I guess there may still be a chance. There may be enough of us left to clean it up before we have to move the camp away. But I, it's not their fault. It's not the millennials' fault. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this whole thing about punctuation was interesting because, you know, like that that first thing that I read about kind of the end of the pandemic, and was very political and, you know, and I got a lot of good comments on that. Uh, but when I wrote about punctuation exploded. Oh, really? Yeah. People may not know what they think about politics, the political situation, <laughs> whatever. They definitely know what they think about punctuation. That was one of the more relatable. And I don't know what your, you know, your, your, audience here thinks, but the so many opinions about punctuation and uh, uh, I, I don't have the comments in front of me, but if you go to my Facebook page, you can you can check out the comments about this particular post. It was day 349 or something. And it was like just arguments about it and people getting, you know, excited about telling me what they thought about punctuation and their experience and uh, it's it's like if you could get people as excited about um, what's going on in the world around us, the say the climate crisis, as, as they got about punctuation, we could solve it in a few years. <laughs> that yeah, maybe we should um, we should make it all about punctuation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we wouldn't have to you know denigrate the millennials. You know, I think. I know. I love millennials. I think they I, made some really good changes that needed yeah, to be made. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't I don't know. You know, every every older generation thinks the uh, uh, younger generation uh 
you know, didn't pay his dues or didn't have as tough as they did, which is a difficult thing for Boomer, a difficult argument, I think, for Boomers to make, especially, you know, I'm, I'm sort of at the second half of the baby boom. Okay. Uh, I was born in 1957, which is the, the peak of the baby boom. More babies were born in 1957, the year I was born, than any in recorded history. Ooh. And, uh, you know, before or since, it's basically the peak. And so I was too young for Vietnam mm-hmm. and too old for any of these other stupid wars we fought in the Middle East. So I was kind of in a sweet spot. Right. So the people of my generation, that second half of the baby boom, have nothing to talk about as far as indulged, um, you know, millennials, people complaining that, oh, we give them all trophies, participation trophies. Well, too bad. You know, uh, we were pretty indulged too. And we had it, we had it good. We were called the me generation. And, um, you know, we are now responsible for the state of the world now. Mm -hmm. And there's no getting around that. You can't blame anybody else. And if we worry that we say, how come the millennials are not voting? Well, you got to give them something to vote for. You got to give them something to, to, to be able to dream about. Yeah. Good point. Good point. I'm glad you got to trash millennials because I love my millennials. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it's it's easy, you, know, you don't have kids yourself, Grace. And, no. you, you know, and, and you're you know closer to my generation. Mm-hmm. You you are a prime person to like denigrate a millennial. But so I'm glad you don't. No, I don't. I love them. Yeah. I think I'm Gen X. Um, I think. And um, yeah, no, I we're the screwed up generation, I think. <laughs> like, yeah. We're not going to talk about that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about uh, what I call Steve's universe. If you can find it, it's sheltered in place, day three thirty nine. I would love to hear to hear that story, and then I have some questions. Okay, very good. Let me let me find it here. Steve's universe towards the end. Steve's universe. Uh, Do you see it? Swing to the right. Nuts. Car security systems. Keep scrolling. I shelter in place. The Shelly move. Axed. The nose. Keep scrolling. It's all Old the way. School. Monkey knows best. <laughs> uh, that one too. Oh, the line. Oh, Steve. Okay, here it is. I'm sorry. Oh yes, by my brother. This is this is. Um, Yeah, this is a nice one. Yeah, this is a good one. I like. Uh, yeah, uh, this is day three thirty nine. Um, I have one sibling, a younger brother. I won't name him for professional reasons. Uh, we're twenty two months apart. We are now in a two month phase. We were back then in two month phase, where by the numbers he's only one year behind, and this is significant because when we were little kids. And I was lording something over him as his older brother. He would claim, I was born before you. You just caught up. <laughs> and you cannot underestimate the power and influence of birth order. I love being an older brother. I have some wonderful memories of days when I would pin my little brother down on the floor and dangle spit over his face. <laughs> or when he was beating me in ping pong, I would start working on his head, psyching him out, telling him that every point he scored was just 
giving you enough rope to hang yourself with and other mind games until he would get mad and start furiously smashing the ball off the table, sparking yet another one of my classic comeback victories. It wasn't all bad. I also protected him a lot growing up from others, not myself. Nobody else had the right to pick on or gaslight him. That was my job. <laughs> and younger siblings are easy marks because they're so idealistic. They grew up believing in this concept called fair. <laughs> what is this word fair? What does that mean? We older siblings are not familiar with that concept. We don't even know how to spell fair. Why do I get a bigger piece of cake? Because I was born before you. That's the concept. It's called na-na-na-na-na. But I'd like to think that if I hadn't played with his head so much, my younger brother wouldn't have a career. He's a clinical psychologist, a very well-respected and especially these days, a busy one. A few years ago, one of his clients even devoted an entire chapter of her book to her successful and inspiring sessions with him. Only after he received his doctorate in psychology did I realized he had finally achieved his lifelong dream. From that moment on, he was officially older than me. He couldn't do it biologically, so he did it emotionally. A few days ago, he one-upped me even further. As an essential healthcare worker, he has now been fully vaccinated. It's only fair, spelled F-A-R-E. I mean fair, no, wait. See, I, I don't know how to spell fair. Ah. It's, but it's fair, he saves lives. I make jokes about poop. <laughs> I'm probably still safe from him ever pinning me down on the ground and dangling spit over my face. But if that day ever comes, I just hope he remembers. I never let it drop. I love it. Um, yeah. It, what is it about older siblings abusing the younger ones? It is like a right. When I read this, I totally like related to it. We, we kind of, it's a competition, right? That we have. Yes, and over resources, over a, a, attention, over affection. It's it's you know, and when you're um, closer together, I the the uh, I think the the more acute the rivalry is because you are vying for a lot of the same things. When when kids are farther apart and they're in different stages of life, they're not necessarily vying for the same kind of attention, the same resources. But yeah. we were less than two years apart. So, uh, oh, I see. So they're like, yeah, yeah. So I think the closer you are, I mean, it it also bonds you in certain ways too. And uh, you know, my brother and I always got along, and I did, um, you know, uh, defend him um, when he was a little kid, and when when he first got to when he got to first grade, I was in third grade, and during recess, he would over always come over and play uh, with me and my friends because he was used to being around his big brother. And so I'd let, you know, let him play with, and his name is John. And, uh, you know, when you're in third grade, you soon realize that John is another word for toilet. <laughs> That's right. So we called him little John because we, in my class, I, I went to Catholic school, small Catholic school. Uh, there were about 18 boys in this class. Four of them were named John. And then my little brother comes along and wants to play. So that's now we have four Johns. 
that are playing at recess. So we called him Little John. And then we started calling him Little Pot. Oh, no. Because it's a toy, a Little Pot. <laughs> and then my brother came to me and said, I don't want to stop calling me Little Pot because he found out that that means toilet. And so I told my friends, I said, okay, I can't call my brother Little Pot anymore. And they went, oh, all right, right. My best friend, Mike, Mike Amatia, uh, we were playing some game and he blurted out, uh, you know, without thinking, you know, hey, Little Pot. And I kind of looked at him and he goes, Pod. I said, Pod. <laughs> I, said, pod. I said, Pod. Uh -huh. And from that day forward, that to this day, that's what I call my brother. I call him Little Pod. Oh no! And sometimes he signs his notes to me, Pod. Oh, no. his nickname. So his name was yeah. It was my friend Mike going. I said Pod, not Pot. Pod. Oh my God, poor you tortured him. Well, no, well that not, but he adopted little you know Pod. Yeah, no, but he I was protecting him. I say okay, we can't call him pot anymore. And when my friend said it, I gave him the stink eye and he said, yeah. he backed off and said, no, I didn't say that. You know, it's like, uh, you know, Ali Frazier, you know, and I, um, but that became his, uh, a nickname that he grew to like. And to this yeah. day, just he between the two of us, he will sign his letters pod. I love it. He embraced it. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, Joe was telling us a little experience. My older brother would take his socks that he wore that day and shove them in my face. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That's classic. That's classic, Joe. That's definitely yeah. a classic. You, you know what? Just be thankful it wasn't his underwear. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. Good point. We did, a, we did a Raymond episode, and I remember just seeing the. Uh, uh, a clip of it recently reminded me. It wasn't one that I wrote, I don't think, but um, it was Ray and Robert kind of getting into a little fight, and uh, and they're on the couch in in Ray's house, and uh, Robert somehow gets his stocking foot into Ray's face, and so George, <laughs> smell it, smell it, and Ray's, ah! it was just like very typical brother behavior, <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Uh, so here we have Nate, uh, Steve Scroven. Did you ever have any nicknames? Not really that I remember. I mean, when I was a little kid, people would call me uh, Stevie Wonder because Stevie Wonder was also was a, like a child star at that time in the 60s. Yeah. Uh, but basically from high school, I was called Scro. To this day, most people refer to me as Scro. Shelly, my wife, calls me Scro. Uh, wow. but yeah, just about, you know, in, a, you know, any sports team I've been on in, in you know, high school, college, in, in comedy world, in the writing world, uh, I'm Scro. And it actually the last staff job I had was on a show called school of rock and, you know, and they called me Scro and they enjoy, and I was kind of like the elder statesman of this group. And, um, they would uh, use the term scrow as a prefix to just about anything. Like, uh, you know, we're in the scrow zone. Is the scrow, you know, whatever 
thing was going on, you would put Scro in front of it, and that would characterize it as having something to do with me. And so, um, in, in in that writer's room, it, it, you know, my nickname actually became a prefix for anything anybody wanted to talk about. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's actually it was kind yeah. of. In, in fact, on one of the sets, we were at the Paramount lot, and in one of the sets, they needed to come up with. Uh, they were we were shooting uh, a street scene, and they needed to uh, decorate the scene, and they would come up with store names. And one of the names that was a Scrow Zone Realty, <laughs> which I have a picture of somewhere, but that's uh, that was up at the Paramount lot for a long time. Scrow Zone Realty. Nice, nice. Uh, well, this ties into the next um, Shelter in Place Day 340, which I named. I actually messed up. It, this one is called Steve's Universe. So. I love that that you have that scroll thing going because this ties into that. Um, it's right after the one that you just read. Oh, right. Got it. Got it. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is day 340. And uh, I have a friend who is a nuclear physicist, and she spends most of her time smashing atoms in a cyclotron. And when I asked her why she was smashing atoms in a cyclotron, she told me that the overarching goal of her work was to discover the origin of the universe. Huh? That's right. Wow. Huh? But if she ever did discover the origin of the universe, it made me wonder what, what, what she do with that information? You know, what do you do with that information? Does that mean you, you can start your own universe? <laughs> Sell franchises, Mick universe, United colors of universe, TGIF universe. Would we have a, a choice of universe, like a multiplex movie theater? Let's watch the trailer for this universe before we commit. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm no nuclear physicist, as anybody who's watched the show for the last hour can tell. <laughs> but I'm willing to bet if they do discover the origin of the universe, it's going to involve baking soda. <laughs> I'm not even talking about how it makes bread rise. But you can do everything with baking soda. Clean your clothes, deodorize your refrigerator, unclog your drains, unstick your pans. It'll even power your little boats in the bathtub. You can't tell me that baking soda is not one of life's essential elements. Give me a little baking soda and some Velcro. I'll build you a goddamn universe. <laughs> and I'll build a better universe, too. I'd set aside one black hole just for parking. <laughs> That's great. And you know what Nate calls it? The no. Scroverse? The Scroverse. The, Nate, you picked it up. You got it. That's what they would do in the writer's room. Everything. Every day. And if I ever wrote poetry, and actually there were a couple of sheltered in place that are poets, you could call that Scroverse too. That's great. So what would um, your universe be like? Like how would uh, society be in your universe? Since we've been talking about you know, what people need and politicians being assholes and all this stuff. So how would your universe be? Well, I would hope that my universe would be just and equitable. You know, that covers a lot of ground. It does. And I think my universe would be governed by the golden rule. Nice. Uh, you know, I, I've never been able to find a loophole in that. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Very simple. And I, and I think just about every major religion has some 
mm-hmm. form of that uh, principle totally. in, there, in there. You know, so uh, I think you could build a just and equitable universe if you treated other people like you'd be, like to be treated. I love it. Joe says the scroller system. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you got it. You got it. It's all there. The scroller system. <laughs> you know, in the scroller system, everything revolves around me. Of course. Yeah. Who else? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so we're going to close on this comment. I love this. Another great show, Stephen Grace. Sometimes while Steve talked, I closed my eyes and thought I was listening to the voice of Peter Boyle as Frank Barone, who always puts a spin on a serious moment that keeps us listening. Thank Very you, nice. Howard. Thank you, Howard. That's we see you got people closing their eyes and just like Wow, yeah. Pretty listening yeah. to my dulcet tones. <laughs> Stop. So uh or, or they just can't stand the hat or something. They just don't wait so they gotta close their eyes. <laughs> okay, here's another one. Too long. Yells loudly after talking, tackling someone. You've been scrobed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've been scrobed. Yeah, actually, uh Nate, that's funny you should say that because I did a sketch show um of comedy sketches back in the eighties, uh in New York City in, in a cabaret setting. And I called it live Scroax on stage. It, nice. You know, like they in, in Times Square back before it was digitified to be like live sex acts on stage. I call this live Scroax on stage. And even as I'm saying it now, I'm hearing Scroax, which sounds like a laundry detergent. But um, uh, yeah, and it was sort of like, uh, you know, I had a little poster with it had sort of this gay porn vibe to it called live Scroax on stage. So. Uh, you and so I thought about giving people buttons who had seen the show. You've been scrowed because a show at the a Broadway show on the time at the time it was on it was uh, what was the Harvey Firestein show? Um, uh, oh, what was the name of the Harvey Firestein show? I, I, you've been. I, I don't know. Oh, oh, yeah, it was a big Broadway show anyway, but he had buttons that said you've been whatever. That, yeah. that story just petered out because I forgot the name of the show. But <laughs> I was going to have buttons say you've, you've been scrowed. But I didn't do that. That's yeah. great. You can take this to extreme lengths. It's it's never ending. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the scrub my the scrubmeister. Scrubmeister, yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Nate. <laughs> Nate is on a roll now. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, I we've been talking for an hour. Uh, I know, right? This, it goes this, by quickly when I'm doing most of the talking. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it went by. I, I'm shocked that it's an hour. Uh, so thank you so much for your wonderful stories and your, uh, you know, being so honest and candid about everything and just being on my little podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Grace, and thank you to uh, Nate and Dave and Howard and everybody else who uh, chimed in and uh, watched the show, and uh, I hope you had some entertainment. Yes, thank you guys for watching, and all your comments are great. I appreciate them, as always. And, uh, okay, here's another one. You've been scrumatized. <laughs> scrumatized? Now, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's... let's uh... 
What is, what is that? What is that procedure? That sounds like a some sort of uh, uh, like you've been lobotomized. Yeah, like a surgery. Is, yes, is a sur Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Nate, what do you mean by that? Scrumatized? Is is that a surgical procedure? Is that something uh, good? Is is it hypnotized? Is oh maybe it's like hypnotized. I like that. Yes, I mean it has a surgery vibe, but but, but traumatized may be hypnotized too. I've, I've I've hypnotized our friend Nate. Traumatized or traumatized? Yeah, that could be. <laughs> yeah. That could be another one. Uh -huh. So uh, so thank you guys for watching. Uh, here it is. Been baptized by the epic awesomeness by Steve Scrovan. Okay, all right, that's a great last. Nate. One. Thank you. My Thank favorite you. audience of all time. Yeah, I know. Thank you so much, guys. I will see you next Sunday at 7 p.m. So uh, thank you, Steve. And okay, hopefully bye. you'll keep writing, so we'll have you back. Thank you, Grace. Thank you.